The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Good morning. morning. All right. We got all our kids in here this morning. Exciting stuff. Um, I remember I was just reminiscing with someone when I was with my grandmother when I was a child and I would come into service. Of course, we always had to come into service. It was a little different that long way back. And uh, as a child, you find ways to absorb the message, maybe. There was nuggets, but the little things I would do that I would sit in place. She always had lifesavers, but I would only get one, one lifesaver. And I would take that lifesaver and I would see how long it could last. <laughs> and then I had the bathroom trip. And I had to plan it just right. So that, that it was a really small church, but believe me, it took me about five minutes to get to the bathroom. But it was right outside the door. Anyway, but it was good because I was there to see it and observe it and learn to sit under someone and hear them speak. Or hear the Lord speak, hear the word speak. So anyway, let's get on with it here. We got a lot to jump into today, Uh, and that lot probably worries you, but it's just heavy. (laughs) Okay, so so, uh, if you don't know, I'm Jimmy Branch. I'm one of the elders here, pastor here at Steadfast Church, and if you're new, uh, normally Brian Robbins is preaching. He's sitting down here. He's enjoying a time of rest and break, Uh, and so come back and hear him speak. Do not judge this church by me. Judge it by him. (laughs) So today we're in Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, We're going through a series titled Doctrine and Devotion. Doctrine and Devotion. And uh, Mark's been preaching on that these past two Sundays. And he actually said, um, so the idea, the idea is that sound doctrine leads us to right devotion to the Lord. Right devotion towards the Lord. Um, Mark said two Sundays ago, he said, and he pointed this out, he said, this letter is to help establish the church in right living to help us establish the church in right living. And I'll probably say this again. Well, how should, we, how should we live as believers? That's what Paul's writing to Titus about, how to train, how to teach, how to encourage. Um, but none of this stuff has to do, it doesn't make you saved. You are saved. You are chosen by God. You are loved by God. You are, if, you're, if you're a believer, these are things that flow out of that. It is not a list of do these things or else. You won't make it into heaven. Now, that being said, if there isn't some growth going on in your life, it would probably be good to talk to a a minister or pastor and go, why is this happening? What's going on? Why am I not changing? But that being said, this is not a list of rules. Now, I also want to say this before we begin. Um, This is a tough passage in the context of our current cultural setting. So what I ask of you is one for grace, Please listen with grace and hear me in complete sentences. I do this. I'll hear someone and a word will catch my attention and then I'll quit listening and I'll start thinking about that word. Uh, and we live in a, in a society right now where that's a, that's a huge thing. So that being said, that's the disclaimer. Uh, that's all the small writing back there you can't see. Uh, please, if you're not there, open your Bibles to Titus uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the pews. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, take it. It's yours to keep. It's the most important thing you can have besides your salvation this side of eternity. 
So let me read, starting with verse one, chapter two. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray before we... And this prayer is mostly for me. (laughs) Lord, thank you, uh, Father, for your word. Um, It's like a two-edged sword. And often it cuts, but when it cuts... It's like a surgeon uh, who cuts to make things right, to fix things, to cut away those things that don't need to be there so that that there can be good growth and good healing. Lord, I just pray that as we sit here and listen to your word today, that your Holy Spirit guides every single word that comes out of my mouth and anything that doesn't, it's not good, let it just fall away. But this I know, you said your word will not return void. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our ears and our eyes today to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, do's and do nots. Why? Why? Why this list of do's and do nots? Simple. God chose you. He called you. You've, you came to him. However you want to see it, however you want to say it, you're his. This, and today, is, this is mostly going to be housekeeping, but we're going to, the gospel, this is all the gospel does in our lives. Um, now, how should you live? Well, that's a simple answer too, in a way, unto him. Romans 14, seven through eight says this, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. He also says in 2 Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're gonna get into that. That's gonna be one of the themes today. We are ambassadors for Christ. There's this inseparable link between faith and practice, belief and behavior. Let me, that's, that's good to, to write down there. there is an, there's this inseparable link between faith and practice, belief and behavior. Hopefully I won't repeat this somewhere in here, but I thought about this. Like when we join a club, let's say you join the Townhouse Pie Bakery Club, and that's what you're all about is those pies. When you join that club, and I don't want to, I don't want to belittle the church, but I'm just saying this, there's going to be certain things that are going to be expected of you, Right? One, you're going to want to like townhouse pies. If you don't like them, you probably shouldn't be in that club. But, but you're, going to, you're, going to, you're going to adhere to what those people are about because that's your group. And it's the same way. Like if you're a part of the kingdom, if you're a part of the church, then there's just going to be natural things that flow out of who you are in the body of Christ. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, verse 1. 
But as for you, and he's talking to Titus, he's writing this letter to Titus. Now we know this was shared with the whole church. He says this, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So what, what's the first thing? Teach. Titus, teach. Teach what, were, what accords with sound doctrine. Another word for sound there is healthy. Healthy doctrine. We're surrounded by a lot of unhealthy doctrine in this world. The enemy has figured out a way to twist as much as he can. Where do you find that healthy doctrine? It's in the word. So, so why this emphasis on sound, healthy doctrine? Well, Paul has left Titus in Crete. We've learned that over the last couple of weeks. He's left him in Crete to teach these new church plants. He's, he's, he's given him, he's left him there and he's like helped these people get established. So let's remember what we've learned about Crete. It's full of false teachers. That, that chapter one was about false teachers. Paul already saw this. They were coming in. A lot of the epistles are written as a result of false teaching already coming into the church in the first century. It was already coming in. The enemy was already attacking as hard as he could. Um, false teachers, this seems to be one of the reasons for this letter. Um, this particular false teaching, uh, which, made, which made room for ungodliness, would have found a welcome home in Crete, uh, which was famous in the ancient world for immorality. Now, I never thought about this growing up, but maybe if you're older or maybe you've seen it in a comic, it'll say, you Cretans, you Cretan. I never put the two and two together until I was reading the Bible. I was like, wait, <laughs> Cretans. Now, I'm going to go ahead and apologize if you're from Crete, uh, because that place does still exist, and there are people from Crete, and there are real Cretans, but not. <clears throat> but just for historical background, I <laughs> know, terrible, right? What do Cretans use that on each other? Um, one writer says this. He says, in antiquity, to be identified as a Cretan was to be linked with the moral decadence the ancient world associated with the people of Crete. They were known. For, for these problems. Um, Cicero wrote this, the rules of life are so contradictory that the Cretans regard robbery as honorable. The Greek historian Polybius said this, now it would be impossible to find, except in some rare instances, personal conduct more treacherous or a public policy more unjust than in Crete. It's a rough town. I mean, especially if robbery's honorable, how could you keep friends? Or maybe you do have friends because of that. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, to put your mind in that. But so Paul even quotes, me and Brian were talking about this. Paul quotes, as, as Mark had mentioned, Paul quotes one of its own citizens, one of its own prophets in, in chapter one, verse 12. This is what one of their own citizens says. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. What if that was applied to your town? or your community, be a good reason to leave, I reckon, unless you were... So, so there would have been a lot of opposition to change and new birth. Think about it. Think about how hard it is to just become a believer in our communities and not be bombarded continually with sin opportunities and temptation. You're living in a society that literally indulges in it, outwardly and openly. So Paul is writing these things to say, you can't do that anymore. You're a new creature. These old things got to pass away. They have passed away. But Paul expected the gospel, even in Crete, to produce real godliness in everyday life. And the gospel will do that. I've seen it over and over and over. People that have no reason 
to honor God or to love him fall deeply and madly in love with God and they serve him even when everything around them is total opposite. So though the word itself doesn't show up, one of the driving concepts in the following verses is summed up in one word, discipleship. And we're going to be talking a lot about that this year, I hope. Discipleship. We all need to be discipled. Brian needs to be discipled. I need to be discipled. There is never a point in this life where you're going to arrive where you're like, I got it all. Nobody needs to tell me anything. One of, one of my favorite speakers, he, he passed away this past year, but he was in his 80s and he wrote like 30 books. In his last book, he was pointing out he still was struggling with sin. He, he compared it to not wanting to take the trash out for his wife, but he said, deep down, there's still a resistance there. There's still a resistance. So, but he grew, he's growing, we're growing. So, he get, so in this, we see older men need to disciple younger men. Older women need to disciple younger women. Now, let's, let's pause there. We all know, if you've been around long enough, age, is, age does not mean someone's necessarily mature. Because I know some, some older guys who are far from mature. And I know younger, guys, younger men and women who are extremely wise for their age. So maybe we can look at this too when we're, when we're in it. That younger and older may mean less mature and more mature. It's still applicable. Now, in our society, we hope that our older people are more mature, right? They've seen more. So Titus is instructed to teach the more mature to teach. Um, and the godliness is, the, the, God, the gospel is to produce godliness in life regardless of our age. So now let's move on with verse 2. Uh, in verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, I'm going to repeat every verse of Scripture. We're, going to, we're just going to break this down because Paul's got a, a lot he's saying here. But Paul is contrasting Titus and these older men. He's putting them first. He's contrasting them with the false teachers who are harassing the church in chapter 1. Who were, these men were insubordinate, mouthy, and deceptive. Paul says, first of all, be a teacher. It makes a difference. Now, being a teacher does not necessarily mean that you have to be an elder in the church or anything. Every one of us is an example. Every one of us is a teacher in some way. You're either exhibiting bad stuff or you're exhibiting good stuff. You're, you're either moving, you're giving information that's helping people grow or you're taking from them. And if you're in the middle, you're neutral. That, I don't know if that's any better. Actually, it's probably worse to a degree. At least pick a side, right? He tells them to be sober-minded or level-headed. He's saying these men, these older men, are to be wise in their decision-making and careful in their judgments. I love it. One commentary, and it kind of groups the, the other, the reverence word together. It says, don't be a clown. I've never seen a commentary say that, but it says that's the way you sum it up for these older, more mature men. Don't be a clown. <laughs> be dignified. Paul says they should be dignified or reverent, worthy of respect. The mature man goes after what is noble and worthy. I see something in our culture often that older people now are trying sometimes to be cool. They, they're trying hard to earn respect through maybe being a certain way when they can just be who they are and pass the wisdom on that they have. But our society controls us in that. And then it, he goes on and he says, be self-controlled. And this is going to be something he's going to drive home in every age group. 
There's an emphasis on this characteristic throughout this whole section. These men should have increasing control over their passions and be self-disciplined. They should have self-mastery empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not a work. It should be something that should be growing in you. One commentator says this. He says, these men that Paul are talking about are what these men should be. These men refuse to be conformed to this world, but are transformed daily by a renewed mind bathed in Scripture. A renewed mind bathed in Scripture. That's probably the number one piece of advice I've given this year when people come to me about stuff. Because it took me years to get a hold of this. The only way you're going to get self-control, the only way you're going to beat anything is, the Word tells us, is being renewed daily in the Word. When I was younger, even as a believer, preachers would drive me crazy with the stuff they'd say. Cling to the cross. I was like, what does that even mean? Now I can get it. It's the only way to survive. They would say, read your word, read your word, read your word. It would wear on me. Now I'm like, even when I don't want to read it, I read it. Because it's the only thing that helps renew my mind and remind me of who God is. Even in the deepest recesses of Numbers and Leviticus, Jesus, Jesus is there. He's there. I've been reading Jeremiah, and I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like, you, it, it starts to come together, and the more you read it, it just, it just, your mind, the Holy Spirit works in that. He says, be sound in faith. Know what you believe and why. There is no reason for you to be a dummy about why you believe. Why do you believe? Be ready in season and out of season. It's right there in the word. That's where you're going to learn. Know in whom you believe. So even when, see these men, even when everything around them is falling apart, their faith is in God. They study the word. He tells them, you're to be loving. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John eleven thirty five. 35, be loving. Be steadfast or patient. And I know people are thinking that we're planning steadfast every week up here and we say it, but every time we open the Bible, that's what we're seeing now. So that's what he's saying. Be steadfast or patient. It stands out to us now. He's saying exhibit and show endurance. Do you know what means so much? And he's saying this about those men. He's saying, because you know how it's all gonna come out in the end, you can endure testing. You can work through hardship and not give up, but it means so much when you see people that have been through, they have been in the worst places where they should have gave up and they came through it the whole time clinging to Jesus. Then he turns to the behavior of the older or more mature women, verse three. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Paul now now charges older women with pursuing godliness in their personal lives as well as mentoring and discipling the younger women. He says, be reverent, a task that is parallel to that of the older men. Live in such a way that is befitting of a godly person, marked by holiness, reflecting the character of the Lord you love and worship. When you love and worship something, you're gonna wanna reflect it. He says, be truthful, don't be slanders, Godly women speak the truth. They do not make false and unfounded accusations 
Uh, when this godly woman speaks, uh, when she does speak truth, she speaks it in love. That's the main thing. That's the important part there because I know lots of people that speak all kinds of stuff in truth, but they don't speak it in love. It's speaking it in love. When that godly, mature woman speaks this to you in truth, you know it's in love and it's because she, this, you know she cares for you and cares for your soul. Be level-headed, he's saying, not addicted to much wine. That stands out to you. You're like, are the women luscious or something? Like, is there something we don't know? Well, here's an interesting thing. I hadn't thought about this. Um, alcoholism was obviously an issue. You gotta think. During this period of time and prior to that, we see a lot of instances where alcohol comes in. Alcohol comes in. The, uh, is an issue in the appointment of church leaders in every list. The appointment of church leaders in every list in the Bible, that comes up. Don't overdrink. Don't do these things. You've got to remember the culture they're living in because of this. And it was especially true in Crete where heavy drinking was a virtue. And as I, I, I read that and I found that, I thought, well, I've, I've got some friends that are the most virtuous people on earth <laughs> by Cretan standards. Anyway, and he says, be a teacher. Like the older men, they are to be teachers. I know it can be tough. We got a lot on our plate and we got a lot to do. But there's so many ways we can do it. And I can tell you, when I was younger, I was searching for a mentor. When I first kind of gave my life to Jesus, the second or third really official time that it was happening, I, I, I sought out a mentor. And a lot of older men didn't understand what I wanted. They were like, you want to hang out with me? What? You know, but there were a few that took me under their wing and they loved on me. And I know that God placed them in my life all these years to still be there for me when things I don't get, I can call them and say, I don't get this. Now they may not have the answers, but you've heard me say this before. They're willing to wade in with me. They're willing to guide me. We can be those teachers. So then he turns to behavior for younger or immature women, verses four and five. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. I saw this quote uh, in one of the books I was reading. The reason I'm not giving authors, a lot of times these commentaries are made up of multiple authors and I don't want to give it to the wrong person. But this one particular commentary said this, this mentoring of the younger by the more mature is a biblical pattern we have, often, we have too often neglected to our great hurt and harm. And I agree 100%. We leave a lot of people to figure it out on their own. Some people have pride and they don't want to ask for help. But we leave a lot of people stranded. <clears throat> and of course here, I think younger could also be newly married. So culture, and I want to say this, and I say this with everything in me, culture and even church pressure and expectations have robbed many women of the blessings and joy of homemaking and motherhood. I don't just hang on that sentence, but the church has done it and the world's done it in both directions. Women are being pulled in both directions all the time. You must be a professional. You must be a homemaker. You must homeschool. You must send them to public school. I hear it and I can't imagine the pull. You just want to do what's right. You want to raise your children. It's telling, he's telling them, teach the younger mother to love them and not neglect them. And I thought about this because we got to think culturally. Everything's changed. World War II, 
The, ha- the homemakers had to come out and start making bombs and planes and guns. Every season in history demands something different. And we apply certain words. We make this thing up in our heads and we try to apply it to everything. Maybe, this is just a thought, maybe home lovers is better terminology than homemakers. Loving your husband and your children. As a mother, you're that soft place your husband and your children can land for encouragement and direction. It's often you that has the wisest moments of saying, stop, don't do that. You know how many times my wife's kept me from going off a cliff? I'm gonna do this. And she's like, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) I'm gonna do it. There was just something the other day and I was like, I guess you were right. (laughs) Luckily, it was just an umbrella that was damaged at the house in nobody else's life. But love is the foremost basis of marriage. Not so much the love of motion and romance. Those are the easy ones. The world does that all day long. But rather of sacrifice and service. I tell this to people all the time, a little sidebar here. Paul says that marriage is an illustration of the gospel. And I will tell you, marriage is probably the hardest thing to do on this earth, I think. But there's a lot to be learned from it. And it is an illustration of the gospel in many aspects, but one of them is love and mercy and grace. It's how you survive. All right, back on track. <clears throat> Older women are to teach younger women to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So there it is, self-controlled. The best way to learn this is to see it up close and personal in the life of another. Older women, what are the younger women seeing? What are they learning from you? To see that it is possible with the help of the Holy Spirit and God and then having someone else as an example You can just about do anything. He says, be pure. Teach them to be pure. Avoid corrupting behaviors. Where are you putting yourself? What are you exposing yourself to? What's working at home? That is at home building. Things have changed. Things are different. Have they? Yes. But making, finding and making provision. When you read your Bible and you see in Proverbs, it talks about this woman. She's not just at home wearing an apron, making casseroles. That is something that Hollywood gave to us. She is out gathering. She is industrious. She is creating. She's selling. She's buying. She's doing. She is not an idiot. He tells them to teach them to be kind. That's revealed goodness. And then there it is. Be submissive to your own husband. And there we have to pump the brakes. And I want you to notice there, and and I could be wrong on this, but notice that says your own husband. Be committed to your own husband. You gotta remember the society they're living in and what's going on and what they've been used to. They've heard the gospel, they've been changed, but there's all this pressure. And we also know that when John is writing uh, uh, 2 John, I think it's 2 John, and he talks about these false teachers are coming in to the households and they're, they're pulling the women away. They're pulling them away from their husbands. They're bringing destructive doctrine. It's the same thing going on here. You love your husband. Don't bow down to to other men. Don't do what they say. Keep that unity in your household. It's that simple. This is not about his every demand because he's held to a standard too. There's a balance there. And also on submission, I found this, and I think this says it. It says, contrary to popular misconception, there is no inferiority in submissiveness. 
We see this plainly in the Trinity where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equally God. And yet for the purposes of redemption, the Son submits in his assignment to the Father. There's a plan. There's something going on. It's for the greater good. It's not about pushing someone down or making them less. And we're gonna see that when we, when we get toward the end more. So he also says, do not make the gospel reviled. No misrepresentation. And we're gonna see this again and again um, for this correct representation of the gospel and the word. Ambassadorship. I can tell you when I wasn't maybe walking like I should, but I still love Jesus. When I worked in places and there was that guy who was like, I'm a Christian, I'm super Christian. He was the most irritating person, not because he was like about Jesus, because he talked out of both sides of his mouth and everybody saw it. Not always, but a lot of times. Misrepresentation, we've got to represent the gospel. That doesn't mean not being quiet about it, but it says, don't be a clown, right? Back to the beginning. And then he turns to behavior for the younger men, verses six through eight which also he's talking to Titus here. He says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Titus is encouraged to model behavior for these young men. He's, he's told to encourage them. And then there's that self-control. He or Titus is to encourage and model behavior for these young men. And I'm going to challenge you in a minute. Like, who are you encouraging? But here's that self-control again. Verse six. And I know it's easier said than done. There's a bunch of young men in here, and you have to determine what young is. <clears throat> who are saying it's not that easy. And I get it. I get that. But I can tell you this: it wouldn't be instructed if it wasn't possible. If there wasn't a possibility, it's just what it is. Self-mastery, as, as we've seen, comes in submission to God. That's turning away from your own prideful will and way and renewing your mind in his word. If you're focusing on God and reading his word, it's gonna be a whole lot harder for your flesh and the enemy to get, it, to, to get in there. <clears throat> and some of you are saying, why do the young men only get one directive? Why just that one sentence for them? Well, first, I didn't write it, but this is my opinion. It is my opinion, if young men can get this one thing, if young men can get this one thing, all these other things will follow in relation. He said it to every group, self-control. You get that one thing. And you, you're not gonna get it on your own. You're gonna have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Plus, these young men, God willing, will be old men one day. So they're going to grow and they're going to learn. And they're going to look to those around us and see who's doing this, who's leaning on the Lord. And when Paul is talking about self-control self here, he's also thinking of the control of temper and tongue, of ambition and avarice, and especially of bodily appetites. And, and I'll just leave that alone right there. But this self-control, learning this self-control and getting this self-control will pay richly in their spiritual lives as they get older. And it will pay immensely to their families and those around them because that's who gets hurt by their lack of self-control. They get hurt, but not near as much as those around them. 
Verses seven and eight, he's saying to Titus, you've got to encourage and model behavior for these young men. He's being charged with leading and disciplining correctly. He is to encourage. Who do you encourage? Maybe you are. It's just a question. Who do you encourage? Who do you go out of your way to say, Lord, who do you want me to, to encourage today? Who do you want me to just lift up? Because every one of us needs it. Paul, uh, Titus is to lead with integrity and dignity. <clears throat> and he is to live a life that cannot be condemned. There's that representation again. Represent well. Both inside and outside the church are watching you. And you can say, well, I'm not going to say anything and I'm going to remain neutral. That says something. How important is it to you? And then he turns to the behavior for bond servants and slaves, verse 9 through 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Okay, now we've got to stop there. Because here we have an issue. Because it's the translation, if you have an NIV, it's slaves. Paul's saying slaves, not just bond servants. So we need to define some terms and get some context before we move forward. And we could spend a whole day on this, but we're not. <clears throat> so during this period of time, there was two, there's two main ways to be enslaved. And that was an indentured servant. You owe. And the best thing you can do is, is give into this lifestyle because you've got so much debt. And it's the only way to survive with you and your family. Um, we saw that with sharecroppers comes to mind. A lot of times they just couldn't make it, so they owed themselves to the guy who owned the property. Or you were a spool of war. This is during the Roman Empire. And as we move forward, this hit me as I was studying this. Let's remember all four of the previous groups he spoke to, both young men and women and both older men and women, they're also possibly bond servants because they're making up a bulk of the church. He's just giving more parameters here. So first of all, slavery is wrong. In the Bible, the word of God condemns it. I, I hear this all the time. I hear people say, oh, the Bible is a textbook for slavery. That is the biggest lie I've ever heard or one of the biggest lies. It's not true. Read it. It's just not true. It was a gigantic cancer which drained, I'm quoting someone here, which drained the political, economic, and moral forces of the Roman Empire. It was big business. It was horrible. So why is it then that neither Jesus or his apostles called for the complete and immediate end of it? I've heard people do that on TV. Well, Jesus should have zapped all the chains off and stopped the slavery. It didn't work that way. And he came for one, one main purpose. All these other things flowed out of it, but he came to save those who were lost. He had to pay a price. He had to die and rise again. That was what was on his plate to do first and foremost. And probably the, one of the reasons or the main reasons is that slavery was so deeply embedded in the structure of, the, of, of Greco-Roman society. We don't get how big this was. In the Roman Empire, and that does not excuse it, but you have to also use common sense. In the Roman Empire, at least one third of the population were slaves or bond servants. That's 60 million. 60 million slaves 
just in the Roman Empire. Just the Roman Empire. And this was not a single ethnicity. This, it was all. This isn't, see, we want to apply American history to the rest of the world with slavery. And it's all wrong, all of it. But this was everybody. Everybody from every walk could be pulled into slavery, could be captured, forced into it in so many ways. It was massive. It was a massive institution of the day and Christianity is just this tiny fledgling thing that's starting to grow and explode and spread out. Also, to dismantle slavery all at once would have brought about the collapse of that society completely. And you go, good, that's what they deserve. Well, unfortunately, the slave would have suffered too. Everybody would have served. The whole economy was dependent on it. It was wrong, but that's where they were at. Any signs of result, signs of result were put down by extreme brutality. If Jesus had set them all free, the same masters that went out and put them right back in bonds or killed them because men are selfish and men are the ones who created slavery, not God. It's another great quote I found. The fact is that monstrous evils like slavery are not like the giants in the old romances to be slain at a blow. It took time. Paul did proclaim principles which undermined slavery and led to its abolition, even though true Christians are ashamed it didn't happen sooner. And you go, what are some of these principles, Jimmy? They're all over the place. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.10, he declares slave traders to be in breach of God's law. He right out says it in 1 Timothy 1.10 that slave traders are in breach of the law, to God, God, law of God. In Ephesians and Colossians, Paul showed that slavery is in breach of the gospel. Paul upheld, he also upheld the quality of slaves and slave owners by, decla- by declaring that these slave owners who had become, uh, are, by declaring that they have the same heavenly father, Jesus leveled the playing field, whether men want to believe it or not. He told masters to provide their slaves with what is right and fair. We see it in the upcoming book in uh, Philemon. Uh, Paul is writing to him and saying, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. There's no handbook for slavery here. It's the beginnings of tearing it down. So what can we take away from this portion of scripture? How can it apply to us? Well, Paul's concern for the slaves was their behavior, for their work and character. He's like, you've been saved. And this is terrible, but I need you to, to, to let them see this in you, that something's changed. Because we know during this period of time, slaves were also doing, they were not really complying to their masters. It's not like what you think. Once again, you're applying American history to this situation. He says, don't pilfer, etc." So he does it, he, he, he's concerned for their slaves' behavior was in their work and their character, and that applies to us. Work, he says, must try to please their masters by their conscientious service. Be polite and respectful. Character, they were to be honest and not to steal from their masters. Instead, be dependable and show that they can be fully trusted. Why did he do this? So that in every way, they will make the teaching about Jesus, our Savior, attractive and adorn it. That applies to us. In the the end, Paul wanted the same for all of these groups that he addressed. He didn't want them to malign or discredit the word of God. He didn't want them to have a reason for people to say, that Christianity is a joke. Those people preach one thing, but they do something totally different. Show lives that are changed. 
And so how do we apply this to this and how we act toward those who are above us or we are serving? There are people above us by societal means and there are people we're serving. How do we treat them? We are ambassadors in this verses nine through 10. That's how it can be applied to us. What is your representation? And I'm closing with this. The effect of individual believers of each of us on unbelievers cannot be underestimated. I could go on with stories where I've heard time and time again where someone was just being a follower. They weren't going around doing anything extravagant and people saw it. I've had coworkers that were believers and other people who weren't would say, there's just something about, like he doesn't ever, he doesn't fly off the handle like so-and-so does. And then it leads into that. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that's some magical thing to make it happen, but God does use that. What is your representation? Um, Inevitably, the world judges the gospel message by the lives of those who embrace it. People are judging the message by us. And so as we live and identify ourselves as Christians, we can make the gospel message credible by our Christ-like attitudes. Um, And I'm closing, so I promise. Paul's exhortations both to these Cretan groups and to Christians of all ages should show us the tremendous importance of being in reality what we profess to be followers of Christ. So I encourage you guys to grow and to duplicate. That's when I first started doing this sermon. I was like, this is about duplication. And then I ran into all these other things. It's about duplication. How are we reproducing ourselves? Uh, Older, mature people. Your legacy should be people, not all these other things we put it into. Physical things are not your legacy. Your legacy is how did Christ work in you and how did you share that in others? That is your legacy. I encourage you to represent your Lord, to take what God has done in you and share it with others. True doctrine will repeat itself. So closing with that and... That's, that's actually, the scripture continues there and Brian's gonna take us into why, uh, another area next week that's gonna be very exciting about this. But, so we're gonna, um, we always close with community and prayer. And if you're not familiar with that, sorry, I've got, got myself sideways here thinking about this stuff. But um, so communion, what we do in communion, we do this in remembrance of what the Lord's done for us. Um, uh, this, we, we take the, these elements to remember what God did for us dying on the cross uh, and, being, and rising again for our salvation, setting us free. So when we take the elements, you take the wine, that is the blood of Christ that was shed for you, and, and the wafer is his bones that were crushed for you, so our bones that were broken for you. So let me pray, and then I'm gonna sit down, and if we start in the back, we come down, we start in the back, if you're not familiar, we start in the back and we come down and, and take the elements. But I'm gonna sit down, and it's gonna be about a minute, and then when I get up, that'll open these up up here. So let me pray. Oh, Father, uh, we just thank you and praise you for everything you're doing. And uh, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, it's, it's, it's what changes our lives and gives us guidance. And I just pray today, Lord, that if in anywhere that I got off track, Lord, that you would just, what needed to be heard, God heard today. That you would bless them through your word. I know you will. And I just pray as we go out of here, Lord, we become and we are, we are the ambassadors of Christ we should be. And then, Lord, you help us to be more like you in everything we do. And that as a church, we grow together, encouraging one another. In Jesus' name, amen.